Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going? It's going okay. I'm hopefully in the last stage of the cold that I did in increments mm. over the past week. So I at least sound better this week. <laughs> I sound more like myself. Do you feel better? I do. I do feel better. Um, apart from the occasional hacking up of a lung, I feel, I feel much better. How are you feeling? How was your week? Uh, well, I'm at a gig out of town. And so what that means for our gentle listeners is that I have a uh, hard out. So it's going to be a short show this week because I have to go perform some Sibelius and some Beethoven. I, I've started a timer. Yes. So. Yes. <laughs> Noel's way more on top of it than I am, but I really probably shouldn't be late to the actual concert. So <laughs> nah. we're going to nah. rush f- through a few of these shows this week. We did want to mention up here at the top, though, um, that we heard from a bunch of you guys on Twitter this week. Thank you so much for reaching out. We heard from Brandy, TV is great, Maribel, West, uh, Beth, a, a couple things, including thank you, Beth, for, for letting me know about the Bob's Burger soundtrack that's coming out. Um, John Delaporte M. Isandra. Um, we also heard from Carl who has fallen back into the web of The Walking Dead. Um, but no! Says, someone yes. save Carl! Well, he says we get his Funkos um, because <laughs> he's he's now been lost to, to us. Um, but but I am vaguely curious, not enough to actually watch Carl, but let me know how you're feeling about this relapse, if like you're okay with it or if you need to re-break up with the show. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. And we also heard from Beale Stanford, uh, who is checking out Carmilla. And we want to know, see, we, we heard this part, but we want to know what you think of the show. So hopefully by the time you hear this, you have seen enough of it that you can let us know. Because obviously we enjoyed it. We, we are big fans. But, uh, you know, we always love hearing from people who have actually checked something out based on a recommendation. Uh, it's very satisfying to, to hear that actually people care. Apparently sometimes null people care what we think about stuff. <laughs> and we care what you guys think about stuff. So let us know, uh, Sanford, uh, what you think about about Carmilla and you know how where you're at in your in your watch. We also got a comment from Fiction Isn't Real at the uh, at the epi- at the post for the episode on the website. Um, we and this is not we, this is me. I got the memory guy's name wrong on, from Legion. It's Tonomy, not Ptolemy. That's my bad. And there was a quick question um, is does Lenny have a mental illness or uh, you know, is that character just a drug fiend? Was the you know question we have? Um, Noel, I have thoughts about that that we can talk about later. Ooh, more on no. this uh, in our week in the genre. But uh, we're going to be talking at the end of the podcast. We like like we mentioned last week a little bit about um, the handling of Donald Trump in late night and how different shows are doing and and what we're watching and what we what we aren't. Um, so more on that at the very end of the podcast. Um, Quick news roundup. I think the main thing we care about this week, is, at least for me, is that American Gods has a premiere date now. It does. A- April is ridiculously stacked. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to be able to handle it. No, and like March is rolling out its premieres like in a couple of weeks too. And I'm just like, oh God. Yeah. 
We're going to get buried again, Kate. I'm going <laughs> to fall behind on all the documentaries that I caught up on this week. Uh, <laughs> again. Again. Well, I only have three independent lenses I haven't watched, and that was down from seven. Ooh. Oh, that's a lot. That is a lot. Yeah. yeah. And you know what's not going to be helping with that? Being out of town for all of the next weekend. Um, uh, I'm just going to stay in the hotel room and watch PBS documentaries instead of doing anything, you know... <laughs> fun you you kid you know i will be like <laughs> editing instead of going to the party right because like oh that, well, sounds, that sounds late and tiring and y'all have, go have fun wearing your, your fancy clothes and everything and i'm just gonna sleep i'm gonna I edit own, and sleep i don't own fancy clothes either <laughs> there's that <laughs> important detail um but okay we we like i said we're on a, a deadline um so I, we should just move right into it. We're going to take a quick break, listen to a little music, and come back with our week in TV. Kicking things off with a little reality and then some comedy. We'll be right back after this. are amused by other brothers reps but the thing you know best is where the gun is kept because in the night you'll feel fright and at the sight of a four-fifth i guess you just might want to do a dance or two because he could maybe bust you for self or with the crew no matter if you or your brother's a star he could pop you in jet without a getaway car and some might say that he's a dummy but he's sticking you for taking all of your money it's a daily operation he might be loose in the park or lurking at the train station mad brothers know his name so he thinks he got a little fame from the stick-up game. And while we're blaming society, he's at a party with his man. They got the eye on the gold chain. This week in Reality and Comedy, I'm going to talk just a little bit about Top Chef. Uh, it's South Carolina. It's finale, part one. And then we'll we'll dive in with the detour, uh, which premiered for season two with, with The City and The Club. Um, then we'll talk a little Speechless, OS, Oscar, PA, Party, uh, Blackish, One Angry Man, Superstore, Wellness Fair. And we'll round things out with Jane the Virgin, Chapter 56. First up, I just wanted to check in with the Top Chef finale um, because... I, you know, if if you don't want to know who's in the finale, skip ahead, let's say 25 seconds and go. Okay, so it's Brooke and Shirley in the finale, and um, they're both fabulous. They're both wonderful, they but are. I'm yeah. also sad that it's not Sheldon and Shirley in the finale um, because I, Brooke is very, very good, but I also feel like there's been a bit of a Blaze situation where she's been, like, it... When Richard Blaze came on the first All-Stars season, it felt like they had created the entire season of the show so that he could win. Yes. Like that was the only reason it existed, because he should have yes. won the first time, and now this yes. time, then the way he could win. It's feeling like that about Brooke. It, okay. it, it feels very, like, this, the comment, the way that they're editing it, it's just they're building this whole redemption arc, and I just... I feel like the way that they're doing the editing, other people have been kicked off for comments that we're seeing her get. Um, and so that doesn't help me feel like she should still be there, even though I'm sure she's amazing. I'm sure they're, they're all really good, but I was a little disappointed that we weren't going to get to see in the finale. So um, I, I would be, I would love it. if would win. Um, I'm just, it really feels like, again, the point of all of this has been to make some entertaining TV, which I've enjoyed, but also to crown Brooke. So I hope that the finale can, 
at least if if it's a foregone conclusion, at least be an entertaining foregone conclusion. And um, I would love to see uh, it feel like a fair fight. It feels a little rigged right now. Um, so I'm curious what other people are thinking about this. I'll check in next week after the finale, but I wanted to just, just quickly mention it. Um, the Detour was a show we both really enjoyed last year. It's back for season two on TBS. I've seen the first of these two episodes, uh, The City. Uh, what did you think, Noel, of these two and the, the kind of the reboot we get? And, and are you liking what you see so far of season two? Right. I was kind of worried a little bit um since they weren't actually on like a trip or anything like it's a new job they're kind of located in one place in so far as they're located in new york city but then i remember that new york city is massive and the sheer amount of random things that they can discover like what happens with the club um allows them to really have the same kind of roadside hijinks that they had but all located in one area and so these first two episodes really did a nice job of making that clear so that even though we've shifted the premise a little bit, the general nature of the show is going to remain roughly the same. And I'm really very excited about that because the sheer joy of the detour was the fact of this ridiculous family running into these equally ridiculous people. And so dealing with tenants who have issues with D's and B's <laughs> and then just a pile up of inadvertent racial uh, and religious uh, slurs insensitivity. and stereo- insensitivity <laughs> and yeah. that kind of thing just building up and then just everything in the club of it's, it's 10 a.m. Why do you have a cocktail? <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff works really well, works to the show's strengths and of the general ridiculousness. James Cromwell is going to be a really good recurring addition to the show, I think, uh, mainly because whenever someone lets Cromwell do comedy, I think Cromwell is very happy. And he's very, very funny, especially in uh, The Club, where he's basically with the two kids for the entire episode, and it's really, really good stuff. So I'm really excited about what the detours got in store for us uh, as they shift to New York. How are you feeling about the first episode you watched, which had the city? Um, It's the same thing we mentioned at the end of last season, being excited about. And it's the fact that I'm excited about the fact that we are getting hints of a much more interesting backstory for Natalie Z's character and making that be like the, the fulcrum of a lot of, yes, theoretically it's this new job, but really it's, Carlos and it's this mysterious piece of art maybe that she does she can't unload yet because it's too hot you know and this these random figures like that is the part that I'm most excited about other than just you know it's a fun show these characters uh have the actors have good chemistry the characters are interesting enough that it really works um uh, Jareb Um, immediately seeing flash forwarding to his entire future with the neighbor girl, (laughs) but they don't age in the, I love that. That was so wonderful. How did I become Jewish? (laughs) It's, it was a really fun premiere and uh, it's a good example of a show understanding what makes it work and not like ditching the gimmick, but keeping the, the feel of the show. So You know, not feeling like, well, they have to be on a road trip for it to work. They don't need that. Um, They just need to be on a journey of some sort. And obviously they will (laughs) be on a bit of a journey this season. Like you said, James Cromwell is always terrific. Um, Getting to see him play a very different kind of character than maybe the more stolid kind of figure we're used to or more um, 
serious role or evil. He does evil a lot. He d- he does a fair amount of evil. That's true. He's very good at it, but it's nice to see yeah. him in a slightly different role here. And uh, I'm looking forward to a bunch of um, characters popping up for like an episode here, an episode there, like they did last season, and just seeing you know what fun they managed to have with with New York City. I, I think it's a smart move, and I'm looking forward to what comes next. Yeah, I am too, and you'll you'll enjoy the club for a, that gives uh, some solid backstory for Nat- Natalie Z's character. Some, not a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's there, so you start getting a sense of everything nice. and more questions. Of course, I expect yeah. nothing less. Um, well, what about Speechless? OS Oscar P A Party. Uh, this was really fun. I enjoyed like all the threads in this particular episode, but the standout for me was uh, Kenneth and their increasing accessibility for games and mm-hmm. fun was just really, really great. And I enjoyed Kenneth like trying to go, how can I make this accessible for everyone? <laughs> inclusive and fight club. <laughs> right. And it, an inclusive fight club is just very exciting. And they're all, and they're all very excited about it. Even, the mo- even though the moms are kind of upset about it, I'm also just like, but it's an inclusive fight club. This is a universal <laughs> access design fight club. That's exciting, okay? Uh, so, no, I enjoyed how all of that kind of kept spiraling out, but still stayed really respectful and was grounded in the idea of being respectful. And that's something Speechless has always done very consistently, and this is another really good example of that. But I also liked the whole thread of parenting special needs and what that can do to each parent and how that weighs them down in some ways and how it how they cope with that so i really liked the split between what was happening with the dad and with the mom and their different reactions to these new these situations and i i I just thought it worked really well as they swung from abuse to an actual coping group Mm -hmm. to this weird sort of judgmental but I want that asp- judgmental, aspirational type of thing, and I really, I really enjoyed how that played off of each each plot played off of one another, but never really overly coalesced beyond. I'm going to put these chairs in the back seat mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing. So I, I really enjoyed that. How did you feel about the episode? I, yeah, like you said, each of the storylines, each of the different parts of the episode were equally strong they all worked really well the manic pixie dream girl oh my god spinning i just want to spin spinning's not that fun (laughs) (laughs) that was a really fun part a really entertaining part of it as well and like the i mean inclusive fight club that's amazing that's so fun and and the 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 point that the john's bowie character reaches boy character reaches where he's like ah i can't keep exploiting these guys yeah Oh man. Okay. Like like the 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 I enjoy seeing the characters tip point for that. Yeah. Um and discovering that actually they don't need the tarp. The house is lovely without it. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean that it's not going right back up. Um yeah, it was a really balanced episode. There was there's good and interesting stuff for each of the characters to do and it was um it was a nice change of pace to not have there be any tension. There's been a yes. lot of conflict, interpersonal conflict. Um, not serious, but like each episode recently has felt like it is that's been a significant part of one of the storylines. And so it was nice to have one without any of that this week. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree that I think that I didn't realize that until you said it, but that's really true. And, and I think it made a big difference in terms of just like pacing, keeping the show in a different gear. Yeah. 
Um, what about uh, Blackish and One Angry Man? I am a sucker for jury duty episodes. I'm of... a sucker for the. Yeah, they said documentary, but I'm sorry. What uh, Twelve Angry Men? You know, right? <laughs> I, I I love a Twelve Angry Men episode. Yeah. So I I, I love any type of jury duty episode. Um. So from. Like the Veronica Mars jury duty episode, I really like as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always here for jury duty episodes. So this episode was very much in my wheelhouse. But I liked how they put a nice blackish spin on it with making fun of the documentary type of stuff, but also like emphasizing how all of this has worked historically and how all of this is working now and the connections between those things. And it's typical blackish, blackish fashion with the little animated segment, which are all, always really good. And it was just a really solid uh, A plot for the episode to have um, that I liked how it ended with Dre just going, but this is what I was saying and no one's <laughs> listening to me. Yeah. I said this and then everyone going, yeah, but now it's her saying it and it's better there. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, you've proven your point. Um, the swearing and the opening and open lines of communications was mm. fine. But it's one of those things where the joke dries up really, really quickly for me. And bleeps are bleeps are really funny for like one, two times max in an episode. And when it's over and over again, it just loses the effect. And so I like the fact that they managed to kind of have commu- too much communication at the end. Mm-hmm. But the path there just it was it was a little too much of a slog for me. How did you feel about this episode? I liked the subplot more than you did, I think. Yeah. But um, f- f- but yeah, I agree that the there's the, there's diminishing returns on bleeping. Yeah. Um, certainly for me, that what worked about that more was the, this idea of the line between parent and friend, and yeah. and you know finding the balance of that and getting a little bit more openness and more communication, more honesty with the with the the kids is, is going to be a good thing but they still need to understand your role as parent and as guardian and as person who's trying to help them make healthy happy decisions for their life um which is not just their friend who they you know spill stuff to that's that's a different role it should be a different role i think um because real real life isn't gilmore girls um but uh <laughs> Yeah, so so I th- I thought that part of it was more interesting. I liked that the the, the end of the episode because like it's we've never really liked Seth, right? We haven't had a reason to like Seth. No, Why do we want the really. kids to be more like Seth? <laughs> no, I don't think they should be more like Seth. Yeah. Um, as for the main plot, uh, as, <laughs> having just watched Thirteenth this week, you know, <laughs> it's nice and timely for me. Highly recommended, everyone. I'm like the bajillionth person, I'm sure, to tell you. Um, not, nominated for Best Documentary Oscar um, this this Sunday. Thirteenth is on Netflix. It's a uh, under. It's like a hundred minutes. It's directed by Ava DuVernay, and there's one small part of that that talks about um, uh, getting representation on juries and and how it was such an important you know, thing to get black people onto juries. Um, but uh, that that's not even anywhere near the main thrust of the documentary, but it's still, you know, it intersected in a neat way for me. And and having ha- having it be subverted um, in that um, Dre isn't the one who convinces everybody, um, yeah. I, I thought was, was good and worked well. And it was, again, it was uh, a fun and very blackish approach to something like you said that we've seen many shows do so i thought i thought it was pretty fun um our last abc comedy we have this week is our uh, sorry nbc my bad uh is superstore and that's wellness fair the the cat's out of the bag 
everybody's in the know finally about Mateo and, and all of the secrets pretty much are out. Uh, what did you think? I was so glad to watch all of this kind of collapse and I was I, like hiding my face for some of it mm-hmm. because it just kept getting worse and worse uh, as they tried to like shore up this idea that uh, Sandra was with Jeff and she had her child, his child, <laughs> and then maybe wasn't going to keep it. And mm-hmm. all of this stuff just kept like snowballing. And I really enjoyed how all of that kind of, after a considerable amount of buildup, how it all just came crashing down. And it was really, really funny uh, watching this. And then Mateo and Jeff basically coming out as a couple, I thought was really nice. And I was very happy about that as well as that. It was, it had. All of this had basically run its course. So I was really happy that it finally all burst here um, during this particular episode. And uh, I think my favorite bit, though, is Gina tossing a bag of condoms to Garrett and saying, here here you go. This is, this is for anyone, but I have first dibs. <laughs> and it's just like, this is fantastic, and it's such a Dina thing. So I, I really enjoyed... Uh, wellness center how did you feel about the uh this particular episode and how did you feel about everything coming out i enjoyed the the subplot with with glenn and with um jonah that was pretty entertaining and and just like the visual of them next to each other with the same coat and the same colored tie like Mm -hmm. they'd be like jonah that's your future (laughs) um i i thought that was a nice little at least for me sub arc i guess um Mm -hmm. and having the stuff with Dina and Garrett just out, out there, I think is a good call. Um, so that they don't turn it into like a, a, an approach that we've seen other shows take with this type of a hookup. Um, and just like, it's, I think they've got the right amount of mileage out of the whole Sandra Jeff thing. So it was time. And and just like the way that they end things with the, um, (laughs) the carriage. Can you take, I couldn't get my deposit back. Yeah. (laughs) Get some frozen yogurt. Um, yeah, I thought that Sandra is just such a fun character. The the delivery from that actor is just always she's just so good. She um, is. So yeah, I, I I had fun with it. Um, I liked Amy trying to fix things, and you know, inevitably, like just the the way that things were made worse felt more honest than usually we see. It usually feels more contrived. Yeah. Um, when shows do stuff like this, listen, like Jane trying to fix things and like, you know, like that's something that we, this, that's the kind of thing that Jane would do uh, as well. And so just seeing the way that other people intersected to make all of these different stories happen <laughs> was pretty fun. Um, so yeah, for me, I, I think I wasn't as hot on it as you were, but um, again, it was the right time to, to burst everything. So let's see what they, let's see what they do next. Our last yeah. uh, show for the week in comedy is Jane, the Virgin chapter 56. So we uh, have the, the, we know the bodies in the other, uh, on the other land. And that didn't just happen by itself. It was not yeah. coincidental. We learn um, we've got great stuff with, um, with Jane and manipulating her into working at the hotel so they can have fewer <laughs> stories and fewer places to, to keep people um how did you feel about the way that they try to co- like collapse things down this week i thought it was fairly elegant um mm-hmm. just because it was very clear that they were going to push jane back to the morbella as soon as we met this new guy uh who was clearly in over his head and we kept seeing him in over his head mm-hmm. it was just like well if it just happens once then it just happens once but it was 
over and it was a couple of times. So it's just like, oh, we're going to get Jane back to the Marbella. That's nice. Uh, mainly, but it was also one of those things where it requires Jane to be really dumb. And I was just like, Jane, you've worked in publishing for like three years now. You know how authors get paid and it's not in a lump sum. It's never in a lump sum. Yeah. Um, especially for your first book. Um, so I was, I, it required Jane to be dumb and I didn't particularly like that aspect of it, but I like the idea of her managing the Marbella this floor, I think is a really good move, especially as it shifts to that kind of kid friendlier, um, atmosphere, I think will be really interesting to watch as she struggles also with Mateo's behavioral issues. So I think that works really well, but I liked, but even in its kind of weirdness of it, even in its telegraphness, I like the fact that the guy still has some sort of shady thing going on with Raph that makes that whole thing worthwhile. Because otherwise it's just this random schmo that we just shrugged off so Jane could have a job but now it's like an actual plot line of this is a guy I knew in prison I want to do a good thing for him but we've also got some sort of scheme happening and so I really liked how that all came together in a really nice way and in a way that the show has sort of struggled to make everything click in a lot of ways recently so that worked out really really well for me how did that play for you? Yeah I think it made sense uh, they had to for me it was a little more heavy-handed sure you know maybe not as as elegant as i would have liked but since that's what they were you know that i could see the strings a little too much now jane would be very good at that job so you know that makes sense um and and that floor is gonna just be humming (laughs) it's gonna be all over there's gonna be color-coded schedule uh color-coded i should say schedule and um yeah it's going to be just sailing right along. However, the it's not smart for her to do that. It's smart for her to grovel and get her crappy job back. And um, so I don't know. It, it's it in that it, I, I just didn't buy it in the end as something that, that Jane would do. But maybe it's maybe this is a different Jane. It's been three years. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see if they put any more effort into making this choice make sense for her. I don't know that they will. I think they'll just kind of accept, assume everybody's on board, um, which yeah. is fine. And that's probably what they should do. But um, yeah, it just, as someone, and we were, I mean, we're both in the creative fields, artistic fields. Like you don't get a job in a different field and do your th- actual creative thing in your off time after you've had a job in that field that is not a smart thing to build towards your future so like i'm a musician you don't go from being a full-time musician to or in the music industry to working as a manager of a hotel and also occasionally doing freelance stuff like but rarely and then have that feedback into your, you know what I mean? Like that's, if you do that, that's not how it works. You don't usually end up with more time. To, like, I'll have more time to practice with. Like, no, you won't. That's not how it goes. You're going to get right. worse because you aren't going to even be playing in the, the way that you were before. And you're still going to be too tired to do the extra practice that you're telling yourself you're going to be able to do. And so it's going to be harder. You're not networking. And I, like, this, And so maybe this is just a little too close to home for me. But it's like, 
that I would never advise for her to do this. <laughs> so, and maybe she's in a different situation because she does have a book that's been accepted. And she's like, so like to me, it's there. I'm sure there are other differences. I, but for, for me, that, that makes that a little bit harder to accept. It's just an element of the artifice of this is a TV show. This is a telenovela. Right. This is a soap deal with it. Um, the, the other art bit of artifice that I've seen other people talking about as well that I am actually having trouble with is the stuff with, with Rogelio and Darcy, um, it it's not it's not working for me, um, yeah. and the the stuff with with Darcy has been too one note. The stuff with Rahelio has not gotten anywhere near the exploration it needs. I think um, he's like, why would you be mad at me? Um, you said you were going to have a baby with her, and then and then she un unfrosted an egg of which she only has so many, and you were like, mm, never mind. I still like my ex. I mean. Come on, why should she like you? <laughs> um, it's a bit dense for me, for given that it's been three years. Yeah, and he's only figuring this out now. I mean, again, it feels a little manipulated. But that being said, I'm still very glad we've had this time jump, and on the whole, I'm in a good place with the show. It's just, it would like to have some progress with the Rahelia stuff. Yeah, and I, I, they're still. I think they're trying to. They can't really do, like, too many flashbacks in the same way that they do with Jane mm -hmm. and her stuff with Dennis here in the same way that they're doing with Rogelio and Darcy. And I think we're they're having to shoehorn in this kind of fallout from the past 30 years into his plot as opposed to kind of covering it through flashbacks to flesh it out and also having it impact the current narrative. And I think that's where we're seeing this. Hence, we're getting, like, teases about his uh, Gulliver... Gulliver's Travels um, television show that may be coming up in a little Chiron that we, mm -hmm. that had the episode, which was very funny. But he also has to deal with his breach of contract and everything else as well. So we know he's kind of going to be okay, but he's not going to be great. So it'll have we'll have to see how it plays out. I'm not convinced that it's going to play out well in terms of like arc structure and that sort of thing. But yeah, we'll see. But I'm with you on that boat. I'm with you on that boat. Mm -hmm. Any other corners of the show you, you want to touch well, on? Speaking of corners, um, and since she was always stuck in one, um, how do you feel about the narrator always forgetting about Abby? That means she's evil, right? That she's just going to be evil, right? She's evil or <laughs> she has a secret. She doesn't necessarily have to be evil, but there's some right. sort of scheming going on. And seeing as we know that Raphael is scheming, right? you know, she could easily be involved in that as well. Um I'm intrigued Greeting by... Greeting card writer is good cover. It's good cover. <laughs> it's a very good cover. And and being that that level of boring, very good cover. Yeah. Just the right amount of boring. I don't know how Mika Kelly can be that boring, but yeah, I'll go with it. Sure. I, I love how game she is with with being the anvil of right. Jane the Virgin. Yes. yes. It's been <laughs> delightful. Um, yeah. So I'm looking for... I think they're... So far, I think they've played that really nicely. Like, they're getting yeah. us very used to her as as forgettable so that yeah. when they turn things it'll be more entertaining um but yeah yeah i think they, i think for them again as ever more for alba but otherwise i think feel, i feel like things are in a good place yeah yeah i'd agree with that well what wins your week in comedy and reality ah uh, that's a good question i think i'm gonna give it for the very solid oscar party episode of speechless this week what about you 
Well, I want to throw a little love to um, uh, Man Seeking Woman, which did another um, Liz-centric episode this week. Um, mm-hmm. But they didn't ch- do Woman Seeking Man because she's not seeking man. She's not dating. It's uh, She makes partner at her law firm. It's okay. an episode about that and about well, at the same time that her brother has just gotten engaged. So... Her, the mom is all like focused on the wedding, and so, anyway, that was a real, it was a really nice episode. And I continue to really love what they're doing this season on Man Seeking Woman. It's been a really strong season um, for them. Um, also, there was some pretty ridiculous stuff on <laughs> Always Sunny, um, but I, I think I'll also give it to Speechless this week just because, again, it was so um, balanced. Like each of the different arcs. Uh, subplots really worked and they they were different kind of funny and i mean michaela watkins should be in everything so yes. uh yeah I, I'll, I'll give it to speechless as well um that will wrap up our week in reality and comedy so we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama and genre drama and genre i'm going to quickly preview when we rise and then we'll talk a little bit about the good fight uh episodes one and two inauguration and first week uh, we how noel we forgot steven universe last week so we're going to yeah. talk about the new crystal gems and storm in the room uh then we'll touch briefly very briefly on supergirl mr and mrs mislepidilic and arrow um you're going to talk about last week's episode because i just very br- briefly because I, I you did you watched it so I feel like <laughs> if you if you took the effort to actually watch it, despite having broken up with it, we should give you a little time there. And then we'll wrap things up with Legion Chapter 3. So first up, I just want to very briefly um, mention When We Rise, which is airing next week. Um, there's four episodes. It's going to be um, Sunday. Wait, it's Monday, Monday Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday. Friday. I, I'm not sure about the Friday. There's thing. four. It's, Sunday, is it Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday then? No, there's it's four definitely episodes. on Monday. They're skip. They're having to skip Tuesday because they to skip- of uh, Trump's address. Yes, but it's four I'm parts. Sure it if- starts Monday. Yeah, this yeah. Is, we'll just that. We'll the just first go with that. Hour of this one, and um, I like what I've seen so far. Um, it it does feel a little um, the the structure of it. We start out in the present or comparative present uh, about ten years ago, and then we flash back to the seventies. And so, um, I like that idea of following some of these characters through time. Um, and they're based on actual, at least the ones that I know of actual people. Um, so I look forward to looking to doing more research into these, the, the characters that we see here and finding out, how, you know, who is an amalgam, who are actual historical figures. Unfortunately that I've got a big old blind spot of, as far as my American history. So I do not know 
these figures the way that I should in in the gay rights movement and the uh, and that intersection with with women's rights in the seventies um, centered around at least in this first episode um, San Francisco. Um, but I thought it was pr- pretty well put together. Um, it didn't blow me away, but I'm hoping that it'll build over the course of you know the four parts and the four evenings and and you know I'm hoping that it'll come to be more than the the sum of its parts in the first episode again there's some some solid performances um some uh very interesting dynamics i think some important lessons on intersectionality <laughs> when the, the feminist uh goes to she's just, who's coming to terms with her sexuality as is queer or as a lesbian um and uh goes to her women's rights uh group that she's been you know doing a lot of work with and only to hear them talking about how lesbians shouldn't be in the in the, the in feminism and the, the Betty Friedan is just like basically kicked all the 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 lesbians out of their group um and uh, yeah and then then we have her meeting and interacting with some some black women who are trying to push for women's rights and feeling very left out by feminism i think it, there's a lot of very good lessons for people who need to understand a little bit more about what intersectionality means and the the history of various rights movements in this country and which ones have and which ones have not been inclusive. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I liked what I saw in this first episode. Um, uh, I was hoping to like it more, so I'm hoping that it will gain steam as it goes along, which would make sense for a you know a mini series event series like this. So, um solid but not great yet after one episode of When We Rise. Uh The Good Fight had its premiere. You talked about these you've seen these first two last week. Um I or the week before I should say, I have now seen them as well and uh I think the thing everybody wants to know is what I think about the music, Noel. It is. I it is what I want to know. What did you I think have, about the music, Kate? I have so many thoughts. Now, remember that we only have so much time this week. Yes, which is why I'm going to keep this very brief. Um, the The first thing they do is they start with a song. And so there's yes. much more prominent soundtrack choices in these first two episodes. If they stick with that, that will be a very different approach yes. than they did for The Good Wife. Um, so that was very interesting. Also, the orchestration in the, the, the classical snippets of scoring is for me substantially different than what we got in the good wife there's a lot more choral there's a lot more um like i want to say harpsichord and like recorder and that kind of thing for me it actually almost feels earlier it feels like almost mm-hmm. renaissance um okay in in it so in its which, in which would make sense yeah thematically yeah so um I, but I need to hear more because for me it felt very disjointed because you had because and then some of the the some of the the more classical scoring had threads from the pop music or the from the soundtrack choices as well in, yeah. in there as well so like it's like they can't decide and mm-hmm. then there cause then there was one scene where it was just it could have just been lifted straight out of the Good Wife so um, yeah. they're still figuring out their sound which makes sense because it's their first episode it's a little disappointing that they don't just know what they want to do with that, given how well-structured and conceived everything else is in the show. Um, But I will be tracking it very closely. (laughs) Um, And we can talk more about that later. Um, But yeah, I really like these first two episodes. Uh, Like you said, Marissa Gold should be in everything. And uh, Erica Tesla is great. I'm so glad she's here. And uh, Delroy Lindo, again, should be in all of the things. It's making me miss Chicago Code again. 
That show should have gotten more than one season, man. More than one season. Um, anything else you wanted to mention to the, with the good fight? Oh, oh, oh. Other than they made canon the stupid, ridiculous, cheating thing with that. Oh, that's some bullshit, right? I, we don't have the time. But yeah, that was my other. That was the, that, such an unfortunate distaste left in my mouth from that. Um, but did you have anything else you wanted to mention? Well, no. Just uh, I'll just re-mention the political aspects of the episode. Really driving home a lot of giving the show a lot more weight than it otherwise would have had. And um, I'll just say, go read my TV guide write up for it Mm -hmm. um, where I kind of like really dive into this whole idea of a fallen liberal having to figure out what things mean now and then ending up at a all black law firm and where she fits into that. And it's just like, well, we've been fighting, but you never invited us to this. Mm-hmm. And that's why we don't hate you, but you also need to have an awareness of where you are now, which is where Barbara, Erica Tezel's character, mm-hmm. is coming from. And I'm really eager to see how their particular approaches also to politics and law end up influencing Maya and where, that, where the fights basically matter and who, who cares about what. So I'm really eager to see how all of that plays out and how all of this really echoes a lot of conversations that we're starting to have after Trump's election in November and where people fit and suddenly people getting really active after things go bad, even though things have been bad for other people for a much longer time. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm really, so did you subscribe to All Access for this then? Yeah, well, yeah. what are we going to do, not watch it? Well, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. <laughs> but no, so I'm, I'm, I'm eager you're going to keep watching. So yeah, yeah. we'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, okay, Steven Universe had an episode last week, which we forgot to talk about. Ended up, yeah. which well, is two I, weeks ago. Two it's, weeks how, ago. it's how we know that you were under the weather, right? Yeah. Because like, I yeah. should have remembered, but certainly both of us, our powers combined. Anyway, so that leads us with um, the new Crystal Gems and Storm in the Room. I was a little underwhelmed by the new Crystal Gems, I got to say. I was too. I it didn't was... want to be, but I was yeah. because they didn't do anything except fix up Greg's car wash. It, it was very minor Steven Universe. Um, yeah. Anything else to say? Other? I mean, it was fun when they were washing the car. Yeah, and I really like Greg's new selling. But yeah. it, it was it was decidedly minor, and it was a very low-key minor type of thing, mainly because... The joke of them assuming the identities of the other gems just Mm -hmm. oddly went too long in an 11 minute episode. Yeah. And I just I wanted them to have to actually fight something as themselves. And that never happened. It became maintaining the car wash. And I just went, oh, I was really excited about this. So let's talk about Storm in the Room then. (laughs) Which was so, so good. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like all the feels again. Once again, um, having having Rose's room come into play and having Steven imagine, like, when he goes to take that selfie, just, like, my heart crumpled. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, like, the saddest selfie ever. Yeah. Because it's not even, the camera's not even picking up on everything else. It's just Steven in a, a black, empty space. Yes, in a void. And that's just, that's just really depressing. <laughs> yeah. And the rest of the episode is equally, like, kind of depressing because I can't get away from the fact that, I mean, it's not her in any way, shape, or form. It's not even, like, uh, Kara's mom in the crystal things that talks to her occasionally that has, like, some of her memories and personality. Yeah. Uh, It's just this 
configuration of his concepts of her and responding to his moods. It's basically like a mood ring gem almost in a lot of ways of mm-hmm. this. I'm responding to you. I'm not anything in particular. And it's just heartbreaking, but it's really instructive and really good that we got to see this like dramatized in a way. And we got Susan Egan to come in and do some voice work opposite uh, the fellow who plays Steven. Zach Calson. Yes. And finally, like in the same sort of vocal space together in a lot of ways, uh, made a big difference in my conceptualization of Steven's relationship with Rose. And I, I think that was really important. Um, what else from this episode stood out to you? I loved the animation. Yeah. Of, especially of, of Rose and her face and her eyes as, yeah, as Steven, his, as his, where he's at shifts over the, the episode. Yeah. yeah. Her, her character model has always been shifty ish. I think in a lot of ways, which is why I've always had that theory that Rose was never particularly all that great before we found out that she was in fact not all that great. Mm. Um, at least in terms of like the sacrifices and things that lines she's willing to cross. So, but her model's always been that kind of, has never shied away from doing the stuff with her hair that mm-hmm. they do very much here. Like they did it a lot in some of the Greg flashbacks um, in particular. And it's, it's always hinted at, the depths and she's even drawn just differently from everyone else in a lot of ways. And I've always liked that choice that they've made. She's even, I feel like sometimes she's even like animated slightly differently in a lot of ways. And I've always liked that aspect of that. It gives her a a different type of characterization. That's really important that you want an animated series. Yeah. Any other thoughts on these episodes? No, no, no. It was super pretty. And, it was, yeah, it was probably yeah. their best looking episode since like the Stephen bomb over the summer. I'm thinking like the Stevani driving episode was really gorgeous. Um, mm-hmm. It might be the prettiest looking episode since that one for sure. The, uh, the mindfulness episode as well. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. But yeah, you know, there was, it was, it was, you know, it was a really lovely, I, I like, I love how they respond to, they do like a kind of like, just kind of one-off fun, light, not that, you know, memorable. Um, and then they go like, oh, what you want us to bring it? Storm in the room. Yeah. Boom. Um, well, speaking of kind of minor, we have Supergirl, Mr. And Mrs. Uh, Mixapitalik. And I just wanted to mention this because the stuff we got with Alex uh, was lovely, and the stuff we got with Kara and Monel just like peeing on her leg uh, got very old very quickly. And uh, I, I just really hope that they are going to do better with Monel than this. At least they seem aware of the cliches that he's falling into. Um, I just. I really hope that they can make this a more interesting relationship than anything we've seen before. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not really convinced that there's a super interesting relationship to have here because the other thing is, is that we all know that there's a rug waiting to be pulled out from under her. Yeah. And that makes all of this kind of frustrating to watch in a lot of ways and Mm -hmm. also kind of boring to watch as well. Like it's, there's a weird redemption story happening for Monel, except we don't know what he's necessarily being redeemed for. And so we're kind of like working backwards. I, we This is an instance of, of us having too much information mm-hmm. and it hurting the storyline a little bit. And normally that's not the case, but this is one of those instances where I feel like it's sort of a little bit of a problem. 
and like you said, the rest of it is very much a pissing contest between two really powerful guys. One, a genie who likes to sing Aladdin soundtrack mm-hmm. and um, then do a bizarre Hamilton riff. And sure, why not? Just because we can. And the my big thing with this episode, though, and is that this is the third episode in a row that we've had like some sort of weird detonation threat because it's all they're apparently capable of doing. <laughs> In a row, like we had the we had the core of the SEO, and then we had the warehouse thing, and then we had the Fortress of Solitude core, and it's just like, is blowing Kara up the only thing we can do to her now to like have a big threat? Hmm. And I'm I'm kind of worried about that as like a they're falling to by dodging all the other things like kryptonite being overused. Now they're overusing this to like have a stakes issue. Yeah. And I I'm worried about what's happening there, but I enjoyed Kara tricking Mixie, um, to type typing out his own name, even if the setup for that was a little, um, elegant. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, Oh, writing it down is more truthful. And it's just went, that's, that's, that's not necessarily true. But I imagine this is going to be very important later on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but the Alex stuff, like you said, was really, really good. Um, and it was a much better form of exploring a new relationship uh, than what they were gearing up to do through Monel and Mixie with Kara. So uh, minor episode, kind of fun, but still kind of mi- but minor. The trouble when you're doing a character like Mixapitalik here, um, and especially how they choose to use him here, yeah, is that it can't help to someone like me, a genre fan like me, it can't help but come off as like second rate Q. Sure. Q's just so much better doing this Except exact same I, thing. Mix, Mixie predates Q, though, is the thing. Yeah. Pop. But John Delancey <laughs> is so much better in this role <laughs> well, than, then... than the guy they get here, and the writing is so much better. Like, you need more panache, and they yeah. didn't sell it. I mean, like, they did fine for this, but I couldn't help but think back to, you know, Q on all the different, you know, like, Q as a foil with um, with Picard is so much better than what we get here. Well, and also just, like, even within the concept of the show, going back to the Voyager episode where he tries to marry... Uh, marry uh, Janeway, yeah. Janeway, and it's just, like, it's a very kind of obvious parallel there that you're yeah. drawing, yeah. Yep. Oh, well. Um, Arrow, just 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Noel, you watched their their very special gun episode, and I was too kind, yes? You, you were so kind. Like, this was like an Isaac and Ishmael level of just, we want to say something important, but we don't want to, like, say anything really important, too controversial. It's just like, we need to find a way to talk about guns that respects everyone. And hey, remember when we could have debates with one another without being angry? Wasn't that a nice time that existed in a time that I'm not sure actually existed? And also, let's roll out this gun plan that we're not actually going to say what it is, but it respects everyone. Just like, (laughs) oh my God, pick a goddamn sideshow. And... It, it was just, it was deeply frustrating to watch them do all of this and then not have any actual stance, as mm-hmm. opposed to, we need to have a conversation that's built on mutual respect. And it's just like, that's, that's great. That's all we all want that. Arrow, you're, you're staking a really bold claim here, guys. Well done. And I refuse to give them pats on the back for that. Okay. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, let's move swiftly on to our last show of the week in drama and genre. That's Legion chapter yes. three. I was more optimistic based on the second episode um, than, than you were. How do you feel about um, this third episode? I actually kind of like this third episode. Um, mm-hmm. If only because we're digging in deeper to a lot of the stuff that's going on with David. And even if it feels too much like a progression of stuff that maybe should have been in last week's episode in a lot of ways. Um, like this, I feel like they should have just compressed a lot of events in terms of making what happens at the end of this episode, the end of the second episode. Um, and just sped things up just a little bit. I mean, you only have eight episodes. You might as well. But I really enjoyed a lot of the uh, performance work, like the dockside conversation between David and Sid, I thought was really good. and But funny, but also really touching in like how their relationship has been defined up to this point. I thought a lot of how they talked about one another made sense, but also joked around with one another made a lot of sense. So I really liked that aspect of it. And yeah, so I was just, I was really on board with a lot of the stuff that they were doing this week. Uh, how did you feel about it? Oh, I really liked it. Um, I thought the suspense and the horror worked really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. The imagery of the angry boy and the, like the yellow eyed, whatever that is, continues to be effective, um, even though we've seen them a lot in the last you know episode here from the previous episode. Um, but the the dread and the terror from in the performance uh, performances i should say uh works really well and i like the idea that sid and david have this extra connection because they switched bodies yes um and, and that helping her see, see see what david sees but that with that gene smart and autonomy don't um that i think was was good and and helped validate him and and give us more of an insight into what exactly is going on. Um, the chase was suspenseful and well done. And um, they continue to thread in these, these smaller moments as well that are, that are really lovely. In this case, for me, this episode, it was Jean smart getting coffee so that she can yeah. hear her husband's voice. Mm-hmm. And did you recognize the voice? I did not. It was really familiar, but I didn't, I didn't recognize it. Who was it? It's Jermaine Clement from play of the Concords. Yeah, uh, no, I would have Muppet movie. Musical? Well, no, no, no. I know who he is. It's just like I wouldn't have like made that connection at all. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I and I also don't... respond with like a dead face because I I'm I don't really have a huge connection to him. So. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I enjoy him. Um, yeah. Well, at least the things I've seen him in, which is not enough because nobody ever wanted to do Flight of the Concords for DVD shelf, so we haven't done it yet. Um, but. Um, yeah, I I don't think you cast him unless you're going to see him. So I look forward to seeing right. him. Sure. No, that makes sense. So yeah. probably in a flashback at some point. Uh, so are you ready for the Lenny theory? Yes, go for it. Right. So I don't think Lenny's there at all. Mm-hmm. I think I think we're in a Fight Club sort of situation where Lenny is a, an actual personality. And I think that's where we're gearing up for is that he is actually schizophrenic and, mm-hmm. or has dissociative identity disorder. So the manifestations that are blocking him are actual personalities. And mm-hmm. so Lenny, Lenny is of herself an actual personality. Like there's, it doesn't, I admit that this theory doesn't answer why Lenny is frozen in the wall, but <laughs> I feel like there's enough instances of Lenny being present in, in where no one is acknowledging that Lenny's there. 
Mm -hmm. And I feel like Lenny has been present in instances where it makes sense for him to be using his telekinetic abilities without necessarily being aware that he's using them. Mm -hmm. So it's possible like some of the personalities may be tied to certain powers. And I think that's where they're maybe going with this is so like the personalities that are protecting the memories may be represented by the yellow eyed blob, but not the blob, Mm -hmm. but demon type looking thing. And then the sinister boy may be a different type of power or a different type of personality. And I think that's also hinted at by the closing shot of people screaming at David at the very end, right before we cut to the credits and that he does in fact have all these personalities in him in some way. And some of them are much more malicious than others, but I think that's where they're going with this. Now, now how much do you know about the, the character from the superhero? None. The comics? Like, none. None. Okay. I've never even read a comic with Legion in it, I think. Um, so I didn't know anything about him up to before this. I I'd heard of him and mm-hmm. I knew that he was Xavier's kid, but I figure i didn't know anything about his abilities or anything like that or his backstory for that matter i know a little bit about it um just from like reading up on the character uh when Mm -hmm. prep prep for the show uh coming up um but so i won't mention anything that could be a spoiler for what they may be going because there's i think there's um they're taking inspiration from but not directly paralleling any of the comics um but which is probably a smart idea yeah i think that's a good theory from you and i think that just because lenny is was is or was a real person and able to be put into a wall (laughs) does not mean that the lenny we've been seeing is necessarily that person every time right so i think that they're not mutually exclusive no that's probably a good idea in fact that there could be like lenny in different clothes could be a different lenny or a different manifestation of his powers or whatever and the fact that we haven't seen an active Lenny and an active David at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Lenny's pushing the stove and David's walking along next, not doing right. anything else. So right. it could be David pushing the stove. Right. And Lenny's pushing the wheelchair and David's yeah. in it. So the, yeah. those were like things that were tipping me off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And Lenny's fighting with the girlfriend for the, for the, the frog. Cake. Yeah. yeah. For, or in the cake, cake and everything. But, um, david's passed out so like yeah yeah, it could easily be something like that um so we'll see we'll see which way they go with it um you're more on board now do you think uh i'm feeling a little bit more on board after this episode yeah yeah um but we're also almost at the halfway point so i mean there's still plenty of time for me to go oh god noah (laughs) holly damn it (laughs) well what wins your week in drama and genre um, we'll give it to Storm in the Room from last week, um, from Steven Universe. I think that was the best uh, genre bit that I watched this week. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I, I'll uh, give it to Storm in the Room and honorable mention to Legion because I and and the good fight too because mm-hmm. I like you had said previously I did not realize how much I needed the show back in my life. Yeah. So yeah, um, but yeah, Storm in the Room. Um, now we'll take a quick break and come back for a very truncated segment on Trump in uh, President Trump and late night. So we'll be right back after this. Thanks so much for being here. Happy to have you. I'm your host, Stephen Colbert. It is uh, Friday. Today marks 35 years of Donald Trump in office. And no, I'm sorry. It's 35 days. It just feels like 35 years. And uh, of course, Trump is in charge of our nuclear missiles. And uh, if that does not scare you, 
Perhaps this will. Yesterday, in an interview, he said he wants to expand the U.S. nuclear arsenal and make it top of the pack. I'm not sure if he means top dog or leader of the pack. But either way, he is not the sharpest knife on the Christmas tree. But... But it's a terrifying prospect. After years of carefully decommissioning our nukes, Obama won the Nobel Prize for that. Trump wants to ramp up nuclear production. It's like the Cold War all over again, but this time, everyone's on Russia's side. President Trump yesterday reversed former President Obama's policies on public schools letting transgender students use the bathrooms that correspond with their gender identity, which brings us to a segment we call, Hey! Hey! What are you doing? As I understand it, you were elected to bring jobs back to the U.S. Now, you don't want to let transgender kids use the bathroom of the gender they identify with? Do you think that's why the auto industry went to Mexico? For the bathrooms? First you demonize Muslims, then immigrants, and now the transgender community. Hey, just because you want to bring back coal mining doesn't mean you have to bring back everything from the 1800s. Oh. During the election, you told the LGBT community, and I quote, I will fight for you. Did you not mean to include the word for? As you can hear uh, from that clip, Donald Trump is, of course, making for a lot of late night fodder um, right now. And there's a lot of both, you know, talk shows and other, you know, like, like Sam B and I should say Full Frontal with Samantha B and uh, John Oliver last week time with John Oliver. There's a lot of mileage that people and particularly late night hosts are getting out of President Trump. Um, so we thought we should talk about it a little bit. Uh, so certainly with um, a new season of Sam B, a new uh, season of John Oliver, um, and of course Stephen Colbert overtaking Jimmy Fallon in the ratings. Um, and maintaining that for the, I think, the third week in a row. I think it was, like, right after the inauguration, Colbert started eclipsing um, Fallon in the ratings. So, uh, Noel, how do you feel like these different late-night properties and hosts have been doing with, with this? And what do you feel is the, like, do you have any thoughts on the appropriate way to handle a figure, a obviously controversial for many people, figure like President Trump? Right. Well, it's it's... It's not without precedent. Like, this kind of thing has been happening for decades now of late night being sort of jesters um, in some ways, depending. But also, one of the things that I've, when we wanted to talk about this, that I was thinking about was how much late night comedy ends up sort of defining itself by the administrations that are in power, mainly because they provide a number of areas for humor, but also just because it kind of speaks to where the country might be overall in a lot of ways. So like for me, Leno was really defined by the Clinton administration and by vice versa. Uh, but like the Bush administration, I think we can both agree is heavily defined by the daily show and the Colbert report by the tail end. But then the Obama administration is kind of in a weird position in which there was never anything that they wanted to really poke at excessively. Hence, we get stuff like Biden and Obama's bromance and 
Biden's love of aviators and ice cream and that kind of a thing. Yeah, it's basically but, like Luther the Anchor Translator, and that's about it. Right, it's Luther, and that's it. But it's Luther in a positive way. It's not like a sort of pointed critique of him mm -hmm. beyond the critique that, but it's a critique that's bundled up in a lot of things. That says more about Obama's overall image than it does necessarily about late night in that it was very difficult to find a way to him in a lot of ways, I think. Whereas Clinton and Bush were much easier targets and their administrations were much easier targets. And so Trump is in a different position in which all of his stuff is not only ridiculous and horrible and buffoonish, but it's actually like heavily harmful in a lot of ways. And so seeing how these, seeing how these different shows deal with that is really telling about like what their priorities are and what they want to do. And Colbert is an example of someone who's doing really pointed sort of comedy at Trump's policies and Trump's presentation of himself. But he's not like doing it with too much of an agenda in a way that Sam B or um, late or Seth Meyers's uh, closer looks are doing. Um, whereas you juxtapose that with, Jimmy Fallon's just flaccid joke close a uh, cold open of the press conference last week where it's just Fallon doing his very poor Trump impression and then just kind of sort of riffing politely on how bad the conference was but not really saying anything through that. It's just well he did this really bad press conference so we're going to do this very weak sort of presentation of it and it's not good, and Fallon's never been wanting to do anything sharp or pointed because that's not who his image is. So it's Fallon's easily the weakest of any late night thing that's happening right now. And I haven't, I admittedly have not seen what Corden does because um, I know he addresses, and we've talked a little bit about a couple of things that he's done since the election, but I haven't watched him in any really specific way. And I, have serious doubts that Carson Daly's doing anything on last call, mm -hmm. but I'm also not up that late. Um, <laughs> but all of this was also spun out from the fact that you felt like uh, last week tonight, John Oliver's show wasn't necessarily equipped or should be really tackling Trump in a particular, in this particular way, or wasn't to their strengths to be yeah. doing this. So how are you feeling about late night and Trump so far and tie that into why you think last week tonight isn't necessarily the right venue for that. Because I have I have thoughts about why they're not the right venue for it either. And I think both their Trump episode and their Putin episode really make that clear. Yeah. But I'm interested in your thoughts. Well, the trouble is, uh, for last week tonight, is that their strength is investig invested investigation-fueled pieces. And, yes. And showing mapping out something that audiences are not aware of uh, or not as aware of as they should be and why this is something that you should care about why it's important and how it affects your daily life the trouble for them with trump is that if you're like me which is I mean if you're somebody who's probably going to watch last week tonight likely you're, you're already following all of this you're already yes. watching colbert you're already watching seth meyers you're you're like waiting anxiously for the next sam b and watching probably some other news and and following what's going so you're informed on what's happening there are not surprises for you with these connections uh between tr trump and putin because there's been a lot of reporting on that so 
John Oliver, while he's very funny and his writers are very funny and they are very smart and they do a terrific job, this is not their best approach. Like, like Trump is not the best way for them to, to make these points because they're not telling people like myself things we don't know. Um, because there, there's a lot of reporters out there. There's a lot of people spending all of their time every day trying to connect these dots. Where their best is finding things that we don't care about yet, but that we should, and telling us why. So I, I think they're the best version of that show is one that maybe touches on Trump here and there as they feel is appropriate, but then looks at some of the other ramifications. And that's where I think that actually Samantha Bee is, is most ideally situated to this. And then I also throw in what Seth Meyers is doing with a closer look because he can be more regular with that like a couple times a week. But Sam B actively taking a role as an advocate and um, in saying, here's a, here, here's a, a small detail thing you should care about. Here's a big picture thing. Let's talk about how ridiculous it is and do some comedy. But like, it, for example, there wasn't an episode this week, but last week when they talked about a specific bill that was going to be voted on the next day and said, here's what it's about. Here's why you should care. Here's the numbers to call. And they voice your opinion, especially if you live in these states. Um, that that sort of advocacy, I, I feel like, is something that they care about at that show and that Samantha Bee as a host and as a creative force of that show really cares about. And I think so I feel like she's much more suited to, to that. Um, and um, so, so, yeah, I've, that's where I'm at with the various. And, the, and then, I mean, Fallon, the trouble with Fallon is he burned all his uh, goodwill yes. with his yeah. Trump interview, as we talked about last year. So when he's trying to come and do some very weak weak punches at Trump, everybody else is like, you're part of the problem. <laughs> and also all the people, the millions of people who voted for Trump. But it's like, you don't get to, no takesies backsies. Right. Right. And that, the, the, and we talked about this a little bit too, the, like that's kind of where I am with Saturday Night Live is like, no takesies backsies, guys. Mm -hmm. And where I kind of, like, even though I love Melissa McCarthy's Spicer stuff, because mm -hmm. it's sharp, it's really good. And she a she leans into it but the writing and the physical comedy of like the podium as a segue well, uh is just and also mm -hmm. spicer doing things like saying we're gonna be big boys and girls which he literally said in a press right. conference the other day i can't wait for the next <laughs> mccarthy right and so like spicer is like a fresh target in a lot of ways which helps but Going, getting back to your point about last week tonight is that I very much agree with you in that even doing like their commercials on cable news feels kind of like, well, that's adorable, guys, but that's not going to do anything. What's your actual like plan type of thing? And it, it stood in really stark contrast because they listed off other things that they could have done, including one that they'd already done, which was actually one of their best segments, which was on the special districts. Mm -hmm. And which is, a, like you said, something that's deeply underreported, deeply underrecognized, and is very new type of fresh information. And then they make a joke about something so boring, you didn't even know we'd already done it. But except for the fact that that's actually really important, really well, interesting, and that's what you're good at. And I was like, you did that one. That was a good one. Do that. You right. Stuff like that again, please. Yes. And that's where I was at the end of the Trump episode, but especially at the end of the Putin episode, which was really just aggressively not super informative. Mm -hmm. um, and their little pop song stuff at the end just didn't work at all. Um, so, but I'm, I think that that's kind of the point that we're looking for in a lot of comedy is beyond satirization or 
needling things is an actual sense of activism or a sense of like sounding an alarm basically in a lot of ways i think is what at least you and i are hoping to have from this sort of late night comedy which mm -hmm. is why we're like responding to samantha b's particular brand and seth meyer's like almost daily at this point like they're doing closer looks like every other day so they're doing at least three a week um that they're like trying to say this is what's happening here's an alarm bell and myers isn't necessarily engaging in a particular as active a role as b is but he's also making sure that he's connecting dots basically and making that that nothing's getting going by unnoticed too badly and even when he had like conway on it was a very like it was not a pleasant interview for her because he didn't really let her up too much yeah he did a good and job he did a really nice job so i think that that's where we're kind of like our with kind of late night is that they're still trying to figure out what their purpose is and if for strictly like sh sharp funny non-activist geared stuff i think colbert's doing really good but this is very much in his wheelhouse in a mm -hmm. way that it his show was not operating in a wheelhouse that he was comfortable with before now and now he's got something to really hang on to yeah the last thing i have uh, a thought i have on this is um this is directly to anyone who might be listening who's at all involved with uh the with colbert's show um People running the social media, uh, people running YouTube, stop breaking his monologues into two-minute chunks. They, yeah, that's It's really, really annoying. Um, yeah. They used to, like, right after the inauguration, they would just put up the whole monologue. And I'd be like, okay, ten minutes. I'm going to watch you all. And now they put, like, they break it into several chunks because they're trying to be more viral, I guess, or something. And it's super annoying because then I end up watching them in the wrong order. It messes up the flow of the humor and the comedy. And, ah, it's, it's and I have to go back and then search for it again and find the next. It's pain. Be better. Be better at YouTube. Um, uh, but you're talking to a CBS show, and we all know CBS is not necessarily the best when it comes to streaming things yeah but let's make a streaming app that's that should be the first network to do it of course cbs anyways um more on that in future weeks i'm sure any any final thoughts any any um voices you're hoping to hear more from uh any people who i mean like for me let's get like can we just take bill maher's show away from me and give it to larry wilmore please oh gosh oh i i can't even talk about bill maher I can't because yeah. I've never liked him. Yeah. And watching everyone just suddenly turn on him, I was just like, like welcome to the party, y'all. He's always <laughs> been really terrible. Yeah. And we're just now acknowledging it. But that clip with Will Moore and uh, Milo is just really phenomenal. Um, mm -hmm. And a clear, some, a clear signal of why Comedy Central was deeply stupid. <laughs> yeah. Deeply yep. stupid to cancel the nightly show. Yep. Um, well, unfortunately, I would love to talk about this for much longer, but I need to run out the door and go play a gig. So, yeah. listeners, more on this, I'm sure, you know, we'll check back in on this in, in a few months if we are alive then. Because it's only been, it's been one month. It doesn't, it does not feel like that. It feels yeah. so much longer. It feels so much longer. <laughs> Anyways, um, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this uh, episode up at theteleverse.org, the website for The Televerse. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook, start up a conversation there. You can find us on iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. You can also uh, rate and review us on iTunes. You can rate and review us on Stitcher as well, where you can find the podcast. And then, of course, we're both up on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. And, Noel, you are? 
at Noble Arcade, and you can find me writing about The Flash and The Good Fight over at tvguide.com. Um, thank you once again, Noel. Thank you, <laughs> listeners, for your patience with this truncated episode. I'm sure we'll have much more to talk about next week in person. If we in person next week, in per, oh my god, Alexa that's time. right! Oh god, it's going to be so exciting. It's going to be super exciting, people. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. Okay, um, that's all we have time for. Unfortunately, this week. Thank you, Noel, as ever, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode live and in person of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.